Welcome to the Simpletons Podcast. I'm here with Laura. My name's Quark. Uh, we're at Simple House. Laura's in DC. I'm in KC. And last week we took off recording the podcast because it was Simple House Retreat. What I heard the... that was good. Oh, you did? Good. What'd That's what I was going to ask. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Did they mention any parts of it? Um, uh, I heard that the talks were good. Um, you know, I didn't hear a lot about where you went, but I just heard that the talks were good and... Um, like motivating and there was a, a lot of uh, good like self-reflection invited good. by the talks yeah that was what i well, heard <laughs> what we did this year was we couldn't go to a, the monastery we normally go to because of covid concerns they're pretty severely locked down at the monastery for retreatants so what we did was we tried to find a place on the map i tried to do this that was mm-hmm. um a one-day drive from casey and a one-day drive from dc and yeah. it turns out that there's this enormous piece of federal land in Kentucky that goes into Tennessee and it starts like at the top. It's enormous. And uh-huh. uh, so that's where we went. It was cool. They had buffalo and elk and a bunch of, you know, lakes. It's Did called you Land see Between the Lakes. Did you actually see buffalo? Yeah. I mean, they were behind a yeah. fence. They, they had were, this. Oh, okay. I see. Yeah. They had this other area that was like you could drive through, like it was a safari. But Tennessee and Kentucky were really freaking out because of the Arctic uh, weather. Yeah. And they were like, it's not safe for you or the buffalo to go through the safari. (laughs) And they might be right, but it was just kind of like, I mean, the lady at the welcome center was, I was kind of like, is this open? She's like, no, it's not open. Don't you know what happened? So the buffalo can't survive snow. Well, I, I don't know. I, it's just like, I, you just like, yeah. cut me a break here. We're not yeah. letting you do anything. Well, but, I don't know. I don't actually know anything about buffalo. But So, so you texted me while we were gone that uh, somebody drove a car through the Simple House property? Yes. And it was, I, I heard like, I heard it all happening. I heard some like arguing back and forth. And then some screeching and then like a big, you know, crash and look outside and there's <laughs> uh, a car is so the way our houses are, uh, we have like the three driveways and it had come like through the fence, through some trees um, in the like middle driveway. But it uh, somehow this guy managed to like hit every single like trash can and recycling bin. Like it was like exploded all over the yard. There there were like six trash cans and recycling bins that just went like, you know, in a whole like half circle. And so there's trash and everything all over the place. Miraculously, he didn't hit any cars. He seemed to be okay. Um, he just said his arm hurt, but, uh, what do you mean that you heard arguing and then it happened? So like, what happened I, was... <laughs> so it sounds like they talked about driving, wrecking into our yard and then did it. Yeah. So he was driving on Southern Ave. This guy hits him, right? He follows him onto our street and uh, and he's like trying to yell at him to pull over. And the guy like literally drove him off the road. Um, so was they it, were like... Hmm? Was anyone drunk? No, or I, I don't know if the other guys were drunk. I have no idea. Wow. Yeah. I, I figured it was because, you know, we've had this issue in the ministry before that you never want to buy a house at the top of a T intersection. Yeah, because on the, the main road, road. 
Yeah, because the road <laughs> yeah. that stops, if somebody's intoxicated yeah. or something, yeah. will drive right up into your yard yeah. and hit your house, right? Yeah, right. But, uh, yeah, so this is this is the second time this has happened. Yeah. Oh, it is? A second time to Simple House in D.C.? Yeah, we had a, a this was a, it was like a, uh, people drunk, like in, it was like one in the afternoon or something. Uh, they took down a tree in the yard, um, because they kept going, you know, okay through the tea. Cause I was, yeah. I was thinking about that time Kim had that car drive all the way into her living room and hit her I chimney. I know. I think about that every so often. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I don't like, I don't let the kids play in the front yard. Like there's okay. a lot of space in the front yard. I don't let them play there because I. I think about right. um, Kim's house and um, yeah. Well, Kim's anyway. daughter was telling me that someone did die in front of her house from a car running that T intersection and hitting oh, a pedestrian. Yeah. Wow. So there, that there is was a, yeah. I feel like we have an abnormal number of stories related to cars hitting houses. Yeah. Like, yeah. It's, it's not. Yeah. <laughs> People can't relate with that so yeah. much. All right. No, because I remember at T Street. Uh, oh, used to yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Our rivals hit our house. City year well, hit our house. Well, and then they, Ryan yeah, had to run them all, down. Like, all these like service trucks would hit our house too. All the time. Okay. All the time. <laughs> and there was like a, an earthquake in DC one year that like shook the whole city. And I, I like, you know, like this happened and I like threw my books down on the ground and like stomped outside because I thought someone had hit our our house and I was going to go like give him a piece of my mind, you know, and it, right. it was an earthquake. Well, we should tell yeah. people that that was a different issue. The issue there was we had a, a house that abutted an alley. Yeah. A very uh, narrow alley. So literally yeah. our, the wall of our house was the edge of the alley. Yeah. So like and it was big like trucks would squeeze there marks. and just scrape yeah. the, the side of the house up. It's terrible, yeah. but anyway, not, yeah. don't have to worry about yeah. that house anymore. Thank you. We don't so. have to worry about that house. Right. Um, um, well, yeah. you guys sent us out a visitor. Yeah. How's that going? Well, um, Lorna's godchild. Uh, I figured out we, we've known her since she's four, and now she's 20. Yeah. Um, is out in Kansas City from D.C. looking at colleges. And I feel my job as a father and godfather, I'm going to do this for my own kids too, mm-hmm. is to try as hard as I can to convince them not to go to college. <laughs> This is making me very unpopular with the missionaries. <laughs> but in the very least, we have to come up with the very best thing you could do not called college and weigh it against college. Yeah. Right. So she yeah. wants to go into film and I'm trying to convince her. What if you just start hanging out on the independent film scene, you know, for five months and see what you yeah. can pick up and do. And we're just we're developing the idea. I, I think she's going to end up going to college and we're going to support yeah. her in that. And I'm, I'm all for that. But um, it yeah. is. Yeah. I, yeah. Have you heard of this new group? Um, uh, it's called the 1517 Project. Did I tell you about this already? No. Uh, the, the premise of the group is that higher education today is as corrupt as the Catholic Church was in 1517. Yes, yes, I'm sorry. Yes, <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I don't know exactly what the group's doing, but I love the motto. So yeah, yeah. Uh, even as a, a devout Catholic, uh, I like the motto. So um, yeah, yeah. Well, that, there's a that. Um, there's a professor that we've talked to who is uh, trying to reignite Catholic universities 
And he's Good. saying like, what's, what's the value added? These schools are so much more expensive and what, you know, <laughs> right. Um, yeah. Right. Anyway. Um, well, great. Yeah. You wanted to ask me about my conversion story today? Uh, yeah, I want to talk about your conversion story. I know a lot of the pieces, but I don't quite know um, how it all connects together. And um, well, before you do that, do you I want to I want to interview you about your thoughts on my conversion story because you've okay. known me a long but time. I want to I want to do you. Why is it important to tell conversion stories? I think I'm wrong on it. Like, I mean, St. Paul's conversion, I think, is at least twice in the Bible described and referenced, mm -hmm. you know, multiple times. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so these stories are important. At the same time, I, I just kind of, I guess my bias is I don't want to think that there aren't really cool spiritual events that happen outside of what we think of as our conversion stories. Right. You know? Yeah. Yeah. But what, what was your reason why you th think it's important? I, I think one reason is is it's edifying, right? And so no matter where you are, I, 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 I like hearing people's conversion stories. Um, uh, <laughs> I kind of also like hearing people's like uh, labor and delivery stories. So maybe similar. <laughs> exactly. um, <laughs> but yeah, and I, I it's edifying. Um, but yeah, I, I also, there, there are like speakers that I've tuned out of because every time it's like, tell us your conversion story. Right. And it's like, I have literally, I know this by heart and I don't know anything else about you, you know, and there are other things that happen. Um, but, um, yeah, but I, I think it does help people, especially that are sort of like, um, you know, sort of newly getting into the faith, um, or maybe have been in the faith and are don't have a sure footing or um I also think yeah, I as know. missionaries, yeah. you know, hearing conversion yeah. stories kind of gives you different ideas about where people are at and how they might progress yeah. in their spirituality, yeah. you know? Yeah. And mm -hmm. I also think that like um probably one of the most famous conversion stories um in my lifetime is probably the Scott Hahn conversion story. Yeah. Right. And, um, I just think someone from outside the church, like clearly he's done a lot for the church. Yeah. Um, and I think part of, I think if he'd been raised Catholic and kind of been brought up in Catholic theology, he would not be as powerful as he is power, powerful in a good way. I mean, like being a powerful right, right. speaker, uh, a perspective um, and things impactful. like that. Yes. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Just because it would not be, there's something unique and interesting that someone from outside the church brings in when they come in, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So, I agree with that. My question for you, though, mm -hmm. is we talk a lot about uh, being normal and not getting too <laughs> weird in your spirituality. Yeah. yeah. And you know my conversion, you know at least some landmark <laughs> things in my conversion yeah. story. So, do you think that I appear normal through this conversation? <laughs> I'm going to think yes. I think people are going to relate to it. I also think you did some weird things that are just like your uh, <laughs> your personality, right? Um, you know, you hear like conversion stories or spiritualities that are like weird, you know, and... Um, I think it's like you're around those people and you feel less free around them or something, you know? Um, 
or, or, or you're kind of like, oh, yes, tell me about your spirituality and sort of like <laughs> setting up a wall. Like, I'm not buying into this 100%, but I would love to hear about that apparition. <laughs> right. um, yeah. So, um, yeah. And um, sometimes a person could be doing something strange and it makes people around them uncomfortable or a person could be doing something strange and it can be very edifying. Right. Not that you should be studying your actions to see what you're doing, but um well, yeah. My thought, I feel like um at one way I just don't care if my story is relatable because I feel like yeah. it was my story, I went through it. Yeah. It's you know, just my what, experience. Yeah. It is what it is. Do think what you think, you know. Yeah. In another way, I think it's very important because like we do this for simple house missionary applicants. Like yeah. it is their story relatable. Cause like if you cannot tell a spiritually relatable story, yeah. how are you gonna be a missionary? Right. 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 And then another issue, like even with my, like I, I rent out some, um, you know, apartments. Right. And the most important thing to me in the whole like process of app of some reviewing a tenant or somebody applying mm -hmm. is, does your life make any sense to me? You know, right. And right. I, it doesn't have to be in a field I believe in or anything like that. Yeah. Right. But like, yeah. can you just tell me like what you're doing, what you plan on doing. And like, so I know you're not going to like leave your job and try to sell essential oils. You know what I mean? Right. I, I don't mean to back on that. But like, I wouldn't rent to you if your main job was selling essential oils. That is true. Uh, but like, yeah. Um, but like, yeah. And if, if, you, if I can't relate with the person to think that they actually have like a plan in life that sounds reasonable and relatable, yeah. even if yeah. I know nothing about it. And I'm just saying like, there's a certain way people talk when they know what they're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And I think it's interesting because it's like, uh, I mean, we, we've gotten all kinds of applicants, like people whose story don't make sense because there's like kind of career gaps or you owe a lot of money you can't account for or something strange that, right. you know, there's things like that. But there's another thing that is strange is like, um, you know, sometimes we get um, really nice applicants from um, like nice homes who have been Catholic all their life and you can't figure out why they're Catholic, you know, like there's right. like not, um, or they, they can't tell you. And, um, and, and that's like a little weird. It's like, you're making this, like, you know, you're giving your life over to this thing that you can't. I, I think those people don't make great missionaries. I don't want to condemn it, you know, but, um, yeah, I, I don't know. I, in yeah. a way, my heart goes out when people don't really know why they're Catholic, but are being good Catholics. Yeah. You know? Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. I just don't think they're going to be great at explaining the faith mm -hmm. to anybody. Yeah. Um, it reminds me also of like, I can't remember which tech company it was. It might've been Tesla that said that in their interview process, instead of asking what projects you did or what you achieved at your last job, they kind mm -hmm. of look at your resume, look at whatever project is you did and then say, um, what was the biggest problem you had on that project? Yeah. And they feel like if the person is not fluff, if if they actually were intimately involved in the project, yeah, then whatever the biggest problem was is something they care deeply about, and it's like a war yeah. story, and they really want to yeah. tell you about it. <laughs> but if they're just if they were just yeah. like you know taking out the garbage on the project, then it's yeah. like they don't really have anything to say. <laughs> yeah. Right. 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 Yeah. So. Um. Yeah. I, it is hard to tell people like why you're a Christian or why you're Catholic. And that's not a question you get asked a lot in your life. Right. And especially like I, my impression is like Catholics, especially like don't get asked that, right. <laughs> you know, um, and have to answer. But but you do 
you know, sometimes people have very um, sort of plain life stories up until the point we're interviewing them, and it's still interesting. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, yeah, to to talk to them. Well, I want to. Can we? Can I get into asking you some questions? Yes. Your um, your mom uh, is Catholic, and um, your father is Protestant. And that was, that was like your father's faith was important in your growing up, right? Well, my mom is kind of poorly catechized. She came from a really mm-hmm. great kind of big German Catholic family. But yeah. um, late in life, she actually took a class at University of Dallas and kind oh, of became cool. pretty well catechized. Yeah. Um, they kind of took her through a lot of great books and made her really study on the Bible. But when I was yeah. growing up, I remember she told me once that the reason why she didn't like renounce the faith for my dad's faith was because um, there was a joy and a happiness in Catholicism she wasn't seeing in oh, my wow. dad's version of Protestantism. Yeah. And I thought that was, a, I think that's very wise. I, yeah. I think a lot of people are making these decisions based on yeah. an intuition and a wisdom that's not like, oh, I philosophically yeah. know the proof of this, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Your mom came from like tiny town. Bible Belt, right? When no? I when you say Bible Belt, Bible you usually Belt? think Protestant, right? Where we just oh. went retreat in Tennessee, that was uh-huh. Bible Belt. Okay. And my dad's church was the Church of Christ. Yeah. And uh, that was funny because we were in Tennessee and we drove from the, the state park cabin we were at to yeah. Murray, Kentucky, where there was a Catholic church, right? Mm-hmm. It was about a 25-minute drive. We passed for Church of Christ. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. And, yeah. and that also is very like, to me, what the church of Christ is. Cause I remember sitting in a church of Christ and, um, we had a deacon resign mm-hmm. and the, the, an elder, they didn't call him deacons. I think they were called elders. And he went up and he said, the reason why he was resigning was because the pastor had brought in a singing quartet. And okay. in the Church of Christ, it's very important not to play musical instruments, and everyone sings, and it's phenomenal. And even now, like, I'll go on YouTube and look up Church of Christ uh, oh, singing, wow. because, like, they have baritones, they have sopranos, yeah. like, they divide out the parts in the hymnals, oh. and people are belting it out from the pews, and it's yeah. like, I mean, it's as good as a lot, it's better than most Catholic choirs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it's just the regular, and it's everyday people yeah. going to church, you know? Yeah. Right, right. But when he resigned because he thought that bringing in a quartet was like bringing in an instrument. Mm. And inside of me, I was burning with pride that this man had such integrity that he would. Wow. I would I, maybe wow. I was 12 yeah. to 14. Yeah. I just thought, man, this guy is this guy's the real deal. He really believes because he's willing to schism with this church over a quartet. <laughs> yeah. Right. And then we had another schism. This is why there's four church of Christ between Murray, Tennessee and Paris, Tennessee. Okay. okay. Uh, sorry, Murray, Kentucky and Paris, Tennessee. But uh, the next schism was um, the pastor had uh, allowed female ushers. Oh, wow. And the pastor was asked to leave. Around the same time the pastor did that, uh, the movie Dead Poets Society had come out. Mm-hmm. And you remember how they had to, like, force out 
the like teacher played by Robin Williams, kind of the yeah. crazy passionate teacher. So like this pastor's getting forced out and just like it's an abs- just like it's the movie Dead Poet Society, like most of the con- one person of the congregation stands up on their pew because they stood up on their like tables in Dead Poet Society. And then like like over half the congregation standing up on their pew. And as a kid, I'm noticing that this is like part of the groupthink dynamic that it's like when one person stands up on their pew, you dare not stand up on your pew. But once yeah. 60, 70% of people stand up on their pew, you're like, I better stand up on my pew or I'm on the outs here, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So they kick that pastor out. And then I don't know. I mean, like, I mean, obviously I think female ushers should not be an issue that anyone should ever schism over. And I have no problem with female ushers, but it is interesting that, um, many years later, uh, one of my friends went to get married and that pastor was marrying people and Mm -hmm. he'd come, he seemed to have completely lost his faith. And it was just kind of a sad you know, like, um, I don't know. It's just kind of yeah. like, well, I don't know. Is this because you had female ushers that you lost your faith or what happened here? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. <laughs> but that was, yeah. my, my dad's faith was funny. Um, it wasn't funny. My dad is an interesting guy. Like he is. You've always painted him as like a great man. I guess. He, he's anyway, kind of a yeah. flawed man and a great man. And like, I'm 44 right now. When my dad was mm. 40, he took up men's soccer from reading a book. <laughs> that, if 40-year-old men out there, you can hear that, okay, and understand what that would mean, right? And it was good and, like, scored goals, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. He had this way of toe-punching the ball that was like like a knuckleball that would really go in the net for some reason. But, like, he played yeah. college football. He played he coached Rugby, college football, right? coached high school football. He played base football on like bases during the Vietnam war. Mm-hmm. Um, he played rugby overseas. He founded multiple American rugby clubs. He's in the hall of fame of the Kansas city, uh, blues rugby club. Mm-hmm. And, um, at the same time, he was becoming one of the early kind of computer programmers and which is just a totally different part of your brain. I think got yeah. like a graduate degree in math and, um, you know, went on to become this consultant who was like extremely patient, extremely kind of thoughtful guy, but also this like kind of crazy maniac, like rugby player on the side. Like one of my <laughs> earliest memories is like Green Bay, Wisconsin at like a rugby tournament celebration of a win mm-hmm. where yeah. like people are pouring beer and trophies. <laughs> That's one of my earliest childhood memories. Right. Good one. Yeah. So he's he's this guy, but he also like was passionate about religion on and off. Like he would, um, yeah. when he married my mom and in the Catholic Church, and the priest wanted to meet with him, and he had to agree to mm-hmm. get us baptized Catholic. He said he did not know what he was getting into. He didn't care at the <laughs> time, and he felt like he was a little bit tricked, right? Because after that, he kind of got religion, right? Yeah. <laughs> And he'd spent time in the Philippines teaching math mm-hmm. on like Clark Air Force Base that's out there. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's where my name's from or what, but I ended up getting born in England because he was at uh, an Air Force Base teaching math to high school students there. Mm-hmm. And, um, but on what? Oh, so he has these like weird trophies he brought from these like overseas trips, like including yeah. one that's like a, uh, a Buddha. That's a solid block of like mahogany wood from the Philippines. And oh, it's wow. like two or three feet tall. Right. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And, um, 
us kids always think is like the coolest thing. Like it went to all of our college dorm rooms. Yeah. yeah. Right. <laughs> and it is cool. Right. Yeah. Even if you're not Buddhist, it's a cool, crazy, like fat man thing, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I mean, respect to Buddhists. I don't mean to call it a fat man, but that's what it, that's, that is the icon. So, yeah, was your the idol. so, yeah. um, so anyway, so, but he would tell me, he'd be like, Clark, you're lucky that thing didn't end up in the fireplace. <laughs> because when okay. he'd read the Bible that it said to burn your idols, he'd be like, I oh. have to get this out of the garage and burn it now. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Well, so, so and I think uh, like in when I was getting to know you and sort of in the early days of a simple house, I feel like your father was coming through there or something, because I, I remember that like you, you took the like your approach to the Bible was like at its word, not that it's like, you know, not uh, in a fundamentalist sort of way, but, but you took it like seriously. And honestly, I, I like had not encountered that really in, in Catholic well, I think, groups, you know, I think we were kind of at a low point in the Catholic church at that moment. Um, probably mm-hmm. not real low point, like maybe the seventies or eighties were worse, but um, what my dad did was he acted like, the words fell from heaven. Yeah. You know, and he knew they didn't and I knew they didn't. And then the more Catholic, you know, I became the more I understood they didn't. And I, you know, so if I was a religion, I would have been a Protestant. Uh, but I wasn't really buying into that either when I was young, you know? Yeah. But what do you mean? Um, what do you mean you didn't buy into Well, I mean, like, it's like the, the words are divinely inspired. Right. But well, I just knew that, you know, yeah. I, I believe this today, like the Bible has been studied for over 2000 years. People have literally recopied the Bible who could not read so that you could have it today. Um, people have risked yeah. their life so that you can have the Bible today. Um, yeah. The reason why they did that was not so that you could debate how many authors there are in Isaiah. Yeah. You know, or yeah. to try to determine exactly when Paul wrote the epistle. They did yeah. that because there is something in scripture that is life giving um, in a yeah. non like fundamentalist way, but as if, you know, that is life giving, that is worth handing down through the millennia yeah. of humanity. Right. Yeah. And a lot of the Bible studies, particularly I'd say 20 years ago, missed that point. It's like they yeah. missed the memo. It's like, oh, we're yeah. going to study this like it's literature or we're going to study this yeah. like it's a historical document. It's like, yeah. There's nothing really wrong with studying the Bible as a historical document, but it's not the reason why we have it 2000 years right. later. Yeah. It's not and and it's not the thing that's going to change your life. And if you're dealing with a per- average parishioner, you are wasting yeah. their time. Like yeah. I, I'm, yeah. I'm kind of mad. I used to I'm like, mad about it. That could be like it, your but, hobby, right? But it's not your faith. <laughs> right. It, it's like it, it's yeah. like a valid concern of an academic. It's yeah. not something that's going to change your life. And right. you go to your church to change your life, not to yeah. wonder. About, I used to throw away uh, St. Joseph edition Bibles mm. because bef- uh, now <laughs> think of me what you will on that. But before every p- chapter, there would be a long like introduction to the chapter that would put you in the mindset of debating who wrote it, when it was written, mm. um, what was mm. the social political context of the time, all of yeah. which is like not wrong, but it's like destroying someone's ability to get the gold out of the Bible. Yeah. It's like putting them. And I, I really think that Pope Benedict reversed this, meaning that yeah. um, like in the Jesus and Nazareth books, 
I felt like he took the historical method of reading the Bible and made it truly edifying for your daily life. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And there, we'd gone through so yeah, he, many. I mean, he, he let you understand it more deeply, like the truth in it more deeply rather than pick it apart. Right. And it's like there was a long period of picking apart. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's right. Picking apart or just side distractions like what yeah. was a denarius worth at the time of Christ? And yeah. often what we're talking about is speculation, you know, yeah. like it's speculative history and speculative theology because it's like, well, we don't have a ton of primary source documents from that period, mm-hmm. you know, and you can kind yeah. of like the camel, like the, one of the verses that's just murdered repeatedly is like the camel through the eye of a needle. Mm-hmm. It's harder for a rich man to go through <laughs> heaven than for a camel to pass through an eye of a needle. Right now, as a modern American child and adult, I still think of meat grinders and ground beef when I hear that <laughs> verse, right? Um, but if you go to a lot of like historical like exegesis of this, they have all these different things it could mean, and they act like they're certain, and at best they're probabilistic yeah. explanations. They're like, okay, yeah. well, maybe there's this gate in Jerusalem, and mm-hmm. maybe it was a little bit shorter, and then a camel had to crawl through it, and maybe they called that yeah. gate the eye of the needle. And maybe you yeah. have a little bit of documents there, and maybe yeah. that's what Christ meant. I give it at best a 15% chance. But it's stated like it's like 100% this is what right, Christ meant. Right, 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 right. Part of the reason why that verse has made it through the centuries is because we don't know what that meant, and it's crazy yeah. sounding. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. I, anyway, I know but, I'm yeah. ranting, but, but right. yeah. But it's not because a camel had to duck a couple inches. Yeah. Right. <laughs> if a rich man ducks a couple inches, he will make it into the kingdom of heaven. <laughs> I, I think it's probably more yeah. accurate to say if rich man is pulverized, you know, spiritually, yeah. emotionally, his pride is yeah. pulverized, he will make it into the spirit, yeah. the kingdom yeah. of heaven, you know. Yeah. All right. And that should I wanna, be scary. So I, yes. <laughs> yeah. So did you grow up going to Catholic Church or Church of Christ or both? Both. Um, sometimes we alternated, oftentimes not going to church at all. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. So it was um, just periods, yeah. Yeah, and you know, one of the things that influenced me was like wanting to be a good person. Yeah, and I even went up to someone on their wedding day who I think was universally acknowledged to be a good person. Yeah, and uh, on his wedding day, I asked him if he'd had um, basically sex outside of marriage <laughs> when you were a kid. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> And the guy paused and I go, okay, that's what I needed to know. And I left. <laughs> so I like did that mind trip to somebody on their wedding day. But that was like this moment where I was like, okay, you can be a good person and you don't yeah. have like, cause you already sense there's a lie happening. Like mm-hmm. I felt like I'm being told morality and then we're watching the TV show friends. Yeah. You yeah. know, and this friends is not the morality I'm being told. You know, yeah. and these people look happy and these people look like the type of people you might aspire to be. Yeah. Right. You know? Yeah. And yeah. that was like working on me pretty hard to the point that I was just like, there are some polite lies that we tell as a society. Yeah. And no one's really serious about this stuff. Yeah. So going like 
going into college, did you think of yourself as a Christian or as Catholic or what, what were your attitudes at that point in your life? Going in, I would have been Christian, if anything. I You um, were lugging a big Buddha statue. Oh, uh, yeah. I brought a Buddha <laughs> statue to college. Um, yeah. I didn't really think I was that religious and um, kind of felt the presence of God at times. It's weird to say that. But you know how a lot of people yeah. who aren't religious will say, I, I've met God almost. You know, yeah, yeah, I didn't meet him in a Catholic church. They'll say I met him in the desert or I met him here or there. Right. Yeah. I had that type of feeling and I still believe that. And Mm -hmm. I kind of was Catholic in the sense that, you know, how like Irish people are proud of being Irish and often proud of being Catholic, too. Yeah. You know, I kind of felt like like, you know, growing up in America, like I had like zero cultural heritage. Yeah. You know, I am a suburban dude. You know, yeah. my cultural heritage is Velveeta mac and cheese. Like, yeah. Laura, you are Puerto Rican. You can, like, you have this suburban <laughs> I, I, background, but you have this other, like, authentic yes. heritage. I yeah. did not have that, right? So at yeah. some level, I you thought— You have Rotel, Clark. Oh, I did have Rotel. Like, we had the <laughs> Texas version of the suburbs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's always amazing to me when you walk into Costco and you see the regional differences, and it's right. usually contained on two pallets. <laughs> you know, like yeah. more seltzer water in New York City and more salsa in Texas. You know, that's right, the regional right, difference. Right. <laughs> you know, um, yeah. and some and some type of you know crab knockoff in the Maryland area, right? In Costco yeah, or yeah, something, yeah. You know? yeah. Um, I just kind of think I think I was fascinated by Catholicism as like a cultural institution, almost mm-hmm. like a secular historian would be. And I thought it must be a pretty good thing to have survived all this time. And these things like confession and going to church must have a good cultural purpose. Yeah. You know, and I stayed that way up through um, maybe my junior year. I was a pretty hardcore into something called KU Libertarians. Um, It was one of the most fun groups. We just got together every week, debated uh, politics. And we started realizing we were much bigger than the Democrats and Republicans. They only got together on election years and were like five people. Uh And we were like 15 (laughs) people a week, you know. Yeah, wow. Um, But I also moved into this hippie co-op called Sunflower House at the University of Kansas. Yeah. And I was kind of more – being a libertarian, I was like the one who wasn't communist in the hippie co-op, you know. There's maybe a yeah. few undecided, some hardcore. Why, why did you move in there? I like hippies, and yeah. I I needed community. Like I, mm-hmm. you know, lived in the dorms. Then I lived off campus, and it was hard to have. It, you know, it's a big state school, right? Hard yeah. to have friends, and I just needed to have a whole new social circle. And so I went and moved into the co-op and yeah. stayed there two years. I really liked it. It was good for me. Um, mm-hmm. I still know some people from there, like we're Facebook friends, you know? Yeah. And I think I had a faith that was not a faith in God, but a faith that somehow you could know the meaning of life. Mm -hmm. And I had this idea that if you went on a spirit quest or something Mm -hmm. like that, right? Yeah. And and the co-op was kind of open to this idea. Like there was a lot of drugs done at that co-op. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was in the room. I never did it, but, and that's honest. I'm kind of a, I've never drank either, but I, I was in the room with a whole lot of smoke a lot of the time, you know, yeah, I didn't yeah, mind it yeah. at all. Didn't mind it at yeah. all. Mm-hmm. Um, right. Where was I going with that? Oh, do you know, like there's this like Hindu tradition that there's like a wise, I think in Hindu, in the Hindu world, 
is not that unusual for like a 40 or 50 year old man to like leave his family and take up a walking stick and just try to get some wisdom, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, And there's this idea of the Indian guru. This used to be like a comic strip all the time where he'd sit on the top of a mountain and the traditional gift I think is to bring him oranges uh-huh. Like that's like ice cream to him or something. Okay. And you you climb this whole mountain, you get to the very top with a big bowl of oranges, present it before him, and then you ask like some big question. Yeah. I had some sense that that was real. Yeah. That there yeah. were these people who were like that, you know, and that you wanted yeah. to be like those people, you know? Yeah. Like a, a person set apart. Sure. And a wise person, like an enlightened person, you know, someone Mm -hmm. who actually wasn't kind of lying, but kind of like was had great integrity and had kind of gotten to the core of what this whole life's about. Yeah. And one of my friends who I think is no longer Catholic, unfortunately, but she got me to start going to mass. And I kind of went to go look at girls. Yeah. Very much. That was in my head. Yeah. And. After a month of doing this, probably my, I would think it's my junior year, um, a monk comes up mm-hmm. from Conception Abbey, and he offers something for spring break. He says, hey, if you don't want to go on normal spring break, come to the Abbey. Come on alternative spring break, you know? Yeah. And just be a monk for a week, you know? And... I thought that was like the coolest thing I had ever heard. You know, I thought yeah. there's real monks like today yeah. and you can yeah. go and live there in their monastery for a week. Yeah. You know, yeah. I had had zero contact, you know. Was it about um, what was the right? Yeah, I, I think probably you, younger. I didn't know totally that monks were a real thing. But was it an appeal about being hardcore or like getting to those religious truths or what was it was just different what was the <laughs> i thought these guys might be the gurus and i okay. also thought that this might be a spirit quest yeah like yeah. like i wanted a spirit quest you don't know how to do it you know you don't know yeah. how to do like some native american thing and walk out into the woods naked and yeah you know go through <laughs> nearly die yeah. and come to some yeah. conclusion you know so yeah. i just didn't know how to do it and when this monk invited us you know i was excited and what was immediately apparent was every catholic kid I knew was Mm -hmm. totally unenthused yeah (laughs) right but the hippies at the co-op found it very interesting yeah and I even got some of them to go with me later they didn't go on the initial trip they went with me later yeah and on that trip I went on I had a pretty good, I mean, I didn't have a pretty good, I had a pretty bad, but you know, that's like, I feel like that's a kind of warning or something in there. I don't know exactly what the, (laughs) yeah, yeah. I don't, Mm -hmm. I don't know what that means either. I I guess I haven't fully unpacked that 20 years later. Yeah. Um, but I, uh, I went to the monastery and I had this whole theology of Catholicism that wasn't a real theology. It was like just a, um, Catholicism is this great, healthy thing humans can do. Mm-hmm. You know, not that the real yeah. presence is real. Of course, it can't be mm-hmm. real. Not yeah. that confession is really necessary or a, a yeah. even able to forgive sins. But like, it's probably a great counseling session. I just had this mm-hmm. whole theology worked out, right? Yeah. And I didn't know that there was real Catholic theology. Yeah. And a whole lot of people in the world don't know that. Right. And we forget that sometimes like they don't yeah. actually know that there is a rational 
structure behind the church, right? Yeah. And I mean, was, I, yeah, yeah. I, I think that's like, uh, yeah, like the suburban life in America, <laughs> you know, you go to public school, you get kind of weird catechism at your church. Like, yeah. I think that's correcting. I think it was worse back, you know, when we were in the kids. 80s and 90s yeah. than it is today. Yeah. So, um, so I went and I remember there was a girl there. There was only like six of us on the trip and mm -hmm. the monk had visited like five colleges and only gotten six people, oh. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So it was not an extremely popular spring break. <laughs> right. Yeah. And this girl was there and she said she didn't really know her faith. And I said, well, don't worry, I'll explain it to you. And I explained her all my theories <laughs> about what the Catholic church is. Uh -huh. I would have fit in fine in a religion department with my theory. <laughs> I'm worried that you're laughing so much. I, uh, so I explained to her what the church was all about. And there were these two other students from KU there who were just like speechless. But they let me talk for like 30 minutes and did not oh know how to interrupt because I'm a pretty good talker. Right. Yeah. And. After it was over, they just pulled me aside and were like, we think you are like off. Like you don't get it at all. Wow. Right. Wow. And when they told me that they didn't feel able to tell me what I didn't get, but they were able yeah. to tell me enough that I didn't get it. Yeah. Um, I kind of wonder where those two people are right now. Yeah. I, good for them. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. so then I went to this monk um, and I said, I'm being told that I don't get it. Right. And, but I think I get it because I'm, you know, got all these theories, right? So I sat yeah. down with him and every time I explained a theory, he'd be like, well, here's the other view. And he, and I know he didn't win any points in that conversation, mm -hmm. you know, but it made me go home. And just over time, I started thinking, well, that is a valid point or that did make yeah. sense what he said. And yeah. all of a sudden my mind started opening up that actually there is a such thing as real Catholic theology. That's yeah. really philosophical, yeah. you know? And then I, um, am I just rambling on right no, now? No, no, this okay. is good. Yeah. So then I, I, mm -hmm. I made it a project. I kind of got a little bit of money together um, for a summer and I got my parents to let me stay up at college for the summer, even though I wasn't going to take classes, I was going to do a research project. Mm -hmm. And, um, I spent that summer in the basement of the campus center. Didn't know anyone really there who was very involved. Um, and I, every day I'd go in there with my study books mm -hmm. and I, every summer I, I might've taken a summer class. I can't remember now, but yeah. I was reading a Chesterton or a Lewis book every day. And by the end of the summer, I think I'd written, I'd read um, all of Chesterton's fiction and all of Lewis's nonfiction. Yeah, I found that I didn't really like. I got, I read some Chesterton nonfiction. Uh, I didn't really like Lewis's fiction that much. I liked to, like yeah. "Till We Had Faces" was a really good book for me. Yeah. Um, but the Narnia stuff, I've just never really enjoyed that much. But, yeah. yeah. And so by the end of that, I was starting to see, and I got a catechism and started looking at Doctors of the Church and um, yeah. Desert Fathers and stuff, and I started seeing the Catholic ideas. And I At this believe point, you were calling yourself Catholic or no? Or yeah, that really, summer yeah. I was really starting to take things yeah. seriously. I, I it was kind of like my moral conversion lagged behind my mind, yeah. you know. So yeah, although I was mentally kind of converting, I wasn't I wasn't able to like radically change my life very quickly. Yeah, you know? yeah. Um, yeah. 
what am I trying to think though? I, I would say today mm. though, like kind of linking this back to the first point, the Catholic church is one of the most literal biblical institutions you could ever meet. Like if you go look at the fathers of the church, the doctors of the church and the way they use scripture to explain the sacraments and things, they're yeah. taking it so literally. Yeah, It's just like a modern day Catholic particularly back then would not have it's like we didn't think our church was as biblical as it was. Right. Right. You know, and we would have thought the way those fathers used scripture was not the right way to use scripture because every Bible study happening in the church at that point was just like, (laughs) right. On some other track of what the Bible meant, (laughs) you know? Yeah. So, and I know that you had a different experience at Catholic U because by the time I showed up at Catholic U and by the time I discovered places like Steubenville and things, I realized, well, there's a lot of people who kind of have their head on straight, but but where I was, I wasn't meeting them. You know. Right. Yeah. And and Catholic U was a, a mix. It was a big mix when I was there. Right. And and we had these um three really wonderful chaplains uh uh that that were just great, you know. Um uh, TORs, yeah. right? Um conventuals. Conventuals. Okay. Yeah. Franciscans. Um, right. Yeah. Not to not to yours. Yeah, they were Franciscans. Um well, I was thinking about this just the other day. I was trying to explain yeah. to people what the church was like when Simple House started. It's amazing the church changes so much so fast. Oh, yeah. You know? Right. Yeah. But like I had two different uh seminary professors, right? Mm-hmm. Uh both of them they weren't teaching physics, they were teaching like theology or something related, mm-hmm. like um to the faith. And both of them told me that my problem was that I believed in truth. And when I say that, it sounds like, oh, I met some senior professors who didn't believe in truth. Because after studying all that they said, it was like, no, they sat down, went out of their way. One of them was on a porch and one of them was in the dining yeah. hall and yeah. wanted to talk to me and wanted to explain to me that truth did not exist. Yeah. And like went out of their way to say it literally. Yeah. And it's yeah. just like so weird. It's like, yeah. But like why did why they so do it? urgent? Yeah. What did you say? <laughs> why so urgent? Like, right. Yeah. But like, like why is it a threat to them or, or whatever? Like why? Yeah. Anyway, it's also just funny, just because like you think that these th- errors like creep in, but it was like not creeping in. It was like, yeah. And I'm yeah. like 20, and they're like 50, so it's like, yeah, not like I, I don't know. I was like 22 or something, but it, it wasn't like. It wasn't a situation where I was even objecting to what they were saying. I was like, yeah. what? You know, what? I mean, but yeah. I'm not like, we're not equals. I mean, you're a seminary yeah. professor and I'm 22 and haven't ever taken yeah. a theology class. You know what I mean? Yeah. So. Yeah. Did you think it was nonsense at the time? Because I feel like there's a, when you're not like so in it, you can just be like, that makes like no sense. <laughs> you well, know, the first you're time not it happened. To be refined. Yeah. The first time it happened, it was at the monastery that's been so important in my spiritual life. And it was one yeah. of the monks. And that guy's no longer a monk. Yeah. You know, he left the monastery yeah. like late in life, like 60, yeah. you know. And yeah. the monastery's in a very good place right now, I think. Yeah. And I think their seminary's yeah. great. Um, but at that moment in like two, it was before, it would have been like the year 2000. When he told me that, eh, it might have been 99, might have been 98, 99. Uh, yeah. when he told me it was before the church sex abuse crisis, that's a big changing yeah. point in my mind. Um, yeah. at the Oh one church sex abuse crisis mm-hmm. for people who weren't following things. Back yeah. Then. But, um, 
when he did that, I literally called home crying, basically. And my parents, yeah. who didn't really believe in monasteries already, were like, another reason you should leave, you know? Yeah. But, uh, but the second time it happened, it happened in a different religious order. Um, and I don't know what the, if that guy's still in the order or not. But yeah. uh, when it happened then, I thought, this is corruption. Yeah. I thought, this yeah. is just disappointing. It didn't, like, rock my world very hard. Right, right. It, it was yeah. like a year or two later. And I just thought, this is dumb, and I can't yeah. believe that you've ruined your own life by choosing to yeah. teach in seminaries and not believing in truth. You know? Yeah. I mean, like, yeah. you're living a tragedy. It's not that you're just yeah. committing something, so. Yeah, 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 yeah. And that seminary that he taught at no longer exists. And it, there was a great sorting of seminaries after one due right. to lack of vocations and due to a review by the Vatican. Weird so. stuff going on. Yeah. Yeah. This, so basically, college, you graduate more serious into your faith. You're kind of having this like uh, sort of mental and maybe conversion in your heart, right? But um, you uh, go to grad school. Um, did you, was your undergraduate degree in econ? Econ and math at two degrees. And math. Okay. And then you, you go to U of R. Um, what, what were you... Yeah, I don't know. What what was at that point? Why did you make that decision? So I spent the summer at KU my junior year, like reading all those mm -hmm. books in the basement of the Newman Center. And then I mm -hmm. uh, spent the next summer at Conception Abbey doing groundwork just to oh, read yeah. more books and be around the monks. Mm -hmm. And then I uh, went to grad school to make money. It was just kind of like, that's a, weird, that's a weird reason to say you go to grad school. But yeah. It was kind of before the big finance boom, I think. Like now, like mm -hmm. for, for 15 years now, so many kids have gone into finance because I think the American economy ha isn't offering a lot of opportunities. And so they all have to mm -hmm. go shove around other people's money. But at that point, it was like, you can go into economics, which was my more passion, or mm -hmm. you can kind of teach economics, but just teach finance and you do a whole lot better in life financially mm -hmm. and things like that. Yeah. So I, I, I went to go get a PhD in finance. And I think I decided that I was ready to morally change my life. I had this enormous beard, which looked very Amish because that's just the way my beard grows. It was like an Abraham Lincoln looking yeah. beard, you know? Mm -hmm. And I had a bunch of ratty clothes and I show up to the business school finance PhD program. And um, within about a month, I lost confidence in my hippie self. And <laughs> I... Uh, got clean shaven, bought a new wardrobe and uh, doubled down on doing finance, yeah. you know? Yeah. And during that time, I kind of like academics. Yeah. And you did well in academics. Yeah. And I, I kind of get a satisfaction out of doing it well. And even though finance is not something I'd ever be proud of, like I had a friend who was a finance PhD and we had a really good accounting PhD program too. And, um, he goes, you know, I was thinking about switching to accounting, but I already sound like such an hole <laughs> being a finance PhD. I don't want to even be a bigger one to be in accounting. But uh, <laughs> so we weren't very proud of ourselves, but we knew it was like a really good financial decision. And it was fun. And we had really good professors and we had one mm -hmm. really notable professor that yeah. was really kind of I, it's weird to say that someone could teach economics or finance and change your life. But he is that guy. Yeah. Same uh, professor, uh, I think Tom Long or something like that, but John Long. 
uh, amazing. Grad students would hand down their notes from his classes. It was so insightful. It was weird. Oh, it was wow. like yeah. It was like w- listening to logical proofs all day, and they were just amazing. I don't even know how to oh, tra- wow. how to explain yeah. what he would do. Yeah. So I did that. I didn't really reform my life morally, but things were coming to a head. And I remember one of the things that was coming to a head was all of these grad students were so talented. Um, they were from all over the globe. My Americans were the minority. And um, it was just an amazing peer group. But like when you looked at the most established people in the field, like our professors who had the biggest names, they almost all were divorced or looked unhappy. Like mm. it was a very small number who seemed to mm. be doing even okay. Not great, but mm-hmm. okay. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it was like they were our heroes. Yeah. You know? And I remember yeah. one day having a discussion. I go, what are we trying to do here? Like we all think that we're a little bit athletic and really smart and cultured and blah, blah, blah. And we think we're going to like be that. But the people mm-hmm. we're modeling ourselves after are all these people who are like divorced and kind of miserable and don't seem happy yeah. with their life. Right. Yeah. And I remember one of the, 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 the attitude the students was, was expressed by this one woman. She's just like, well, we're just not going to do it that way. Yeah. You know, <laughs> instead of thinking we're on a road to become the people we idolize, it was like, no, we'll figure out the way to continue yeah. not being narrow. And But it's like you almost have to like make I, – I think it would be interesting to have a talk sometime about deals with the devil. Yeah. Um, I think it's a fa- – I think the Faustian bargain is everywhere. Like I think that um, you if you want to be at the very top of finance academically, you almost have to make a Faustian bargain. Mm-hmm. You almost have to say this is more important than my family. This is more important yeah. than my – uh, overall education. This is more important than my free time. This is more important than any sports I play. This is the most important right. thing. And I'm willing to kill everything in order to get there. And that's yeah. how you get to the top, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And that's a hell, you know? So I was kind yeah. of realizing that. And you got a question or you want me to keep rolling? No, no, no. I just had a kind of half-baked thought. Lately, I've been thinking, I've been lamenting that people don't talk of Christianity as much as like the road or the way, you know, and that it's just like all these choices and there are people walking in front of you and behind you and alongside of you. And it's this like sort of whole school, your whole life. Right. And it's like you can't be on the way of these other professors and then. Or we'll talk about formation, like formation is what you get if you become a monk. Like everyone's getting formation all the time and you are your primary formator. Right. Period. And you, no matter, even if you become a monk, you are going, you are responsible fundamentally for your formation. Yeah. You know, and people don't own that, you know, anyway. So that's part of the way thing I think you're saying, but yeah. Yeah. Anyway, I want to say something about my parents and how I made a decision to leave grad school was, Mm -hmm. My parents, ever since I was an undergrad and started taking Catholicism more seriously and wondering, should I be a priest? Should I, whatever I should do. Um, they had this good way, this, this, this good way. They'd they'd be like, well, um, are you getting any exercise? 
Yeah, yeah, like, I remember this about you. Right. Yeah, <laughs> I, like, I love this. I think this is so so right on. Right. Yeah. And then like, because they'd be like, well, maybe you're just a little bit upset or kind of dejected because you're not getting exercise. That's why you want to leave and go do this other thing. And, and then they'd be like, I'm getting enough exercise. They'd be like, well, are you eating healthy? Yeah. And then they'd be like, if you go, yeah, you're eating healthy. And they'd be like, are you sleeping enough? Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. almost never can a college student answer yes to all three questions. Right, right, right. Right. Yeah. So like always there was something where it'd be like, well, we'll go back and do that and come talk to us. Yeah. You yeah. know? Right. And, but then in grad school, I was doing all that. So I was able to answer all three questions. Yes, yes, yes. Right. Mm-hmm. I am doing all those things, mom and dad. And I still feel like I need to become a missionary, do something more radical, change this. And then they go, then they drop the bummer. Uh, have you prayed enough about it? Yeah. <laughs> and I kind of lost it on them when they did that because I was like, what do you mean? Like, when do you hit enough? Yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, yeah. like well, there is yeah. no enough. Yeah. And yeah. I, I think I figured out, and I see this every year with Simple House missionaries, that parents love their kids. Parents want what's safe for their kids. Parents are never going to let it all ride. Yeah. Right. But yeah. the great, I think that the great lives and the great way to live is every once in a while you push your chips to the center of the table and you let it ride. Yeah. Yeah. You know, but you, someone can't do that for you, including your parents, right? Your parents will and, never yeah. allow you to do that because yeah. that is because yeah. you could lose. Yeah. In fact, mm-hmm. odds are you'll lose. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So, mm-hmm. so it's just like parents would rather you live a safe, more mediocre yeah. life than, than go for it. Yeah. But I think this is really like, I mean, I, I think this little, it, this is really sound. Like you're stressed out, anxious about something. It's like, hold on. Am I, I know. am I sleeping? Am I eating? Am I exercising? Am I praying? Like, and, and, and in that order, maybe, <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. So anyway. when they did the prayer enough thing, I said, well, let's, I'll do this. I'll go on a two week retreat and discern this. Mm-hmm. Right. And uh, I said, what I'll also do is I'll make sure I don't burn any bridges. I'll finish all my grad school requirements and not leave. And I'll take a leave of absence, even though it's probably yeah. permanent. But I'll say it's yeah. leave of absence and I'll, I'll kind of leave at the right point where I've turned in all my papers and done my qualifiers. Right. Yeah. Um, like you, you got a master's though. So yeah, basically, I did, I did you, said have a you were at that on point. the PhD track and you stopped at a master's. Yeah. I would have had two or three more years. I hadn't gotten to the point of writing a dissertation yet. So, right. Okay. So I made a deal with them that I'd go on retreat. So, yeah. In August of, I'm not sure what year, but I'd probably been in grad school two and a half years. I uh, went out to Conception Abbey for two weeks. And, you know, I I always thought it was normal to just go on retreats with no plan. Yeah. You know what I mean? And that that's what a retreat uh-huh. was. But yeah. uh, most people used to are very highly like choreographed retreats or planned out yeah. agenda retreats. So I show yeah. up and they don't have anyone for me to talk to. Uh, they said, uh, after one week of the retreat, we'll let you meet with, uh, father Adam, who was mm-hmm. a monk. I didn't really know. There's only about 70 mm-hmm. monks there. So I knew them all by face and name, but I didn't know mm-hmm. them all. I only knew maybe like a quarter of them in the sense of like we'd had conversations, okay. you know? Mm-hmm. And, um, so I go, father, Adam, I don't know him. Okay. And then the first week of retreat, all I had to do or what I was asked to do was, um, scrape popcorn off ceilings. Poof. <laughs> yeah. 
That is some sucky work, but (laughs) (laughs) and I I was not good at it. I probably was a very slow worker. So yeah, I'm I'm scraping popcorn, going to like mass and the different prayers and things like that. And um, a weekend, I finally get to talk to Father Adam, and within like just meeting him, changed my life. Um, we, you and I've talked about that. We need to have like father Adams, um, getting older now. And we, we need, we're trying to get as much of him as we can, but we need to like get his major talks that are the most crazy, zany, life-changing, and then do dramatic interpretations of them for future missionaries. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Like give his talks, you know, as father Adam would give them. Uh, yeah. So I met him and I, wait, I want to say, like, his talks are, like, kind of bizarre in a great way. Right. And yes. it's always and a problem. they might make you uncomfortable. Yeah. It's always a problem that you don't know if you should dismiss him as crazy <laughs> or there's gold here that no one else right. is telling you. Right. And only when you accept that there's gold there will the gold start yeah. showing itself. Yeah. And it's, um, it's great. It's absolutely yes. great. Yeah. And it's also funny because, like, we got a uh, Father Adam deserves so much of our time. I mean, Father Adam is who knows? I, I can't do justice to Father Adam, but one of the things about him is that, like, if he's talking, like, from the pulpit doing a homily, he's not zany. In fact, it's, yeah. it's just okay. You're like, oh, yeah. well, that's a very nice homily. That's very appropriate. Yeah. You know, and yeah. I don't know that he'd be a great retreat master, right? <laughs> but you yeah. get him into like a room with just people, and he's just like, "Wow," you know? Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Anyway, okay. we we should we'll talk about him. Okay, more we'll talk about him time. later. Yeah. Right. So I met yeah. him, and he told me like three things right off. He goes, "Look, I change people's lives all the time." <laughs> People come up to me 30 years later, say I changed their lives. I don't even know who they are because they're all, you know, I'm not, that's not how Father Adam talks. He's more humble than that. But, and then he's like, so I may not know who you are later. Don't expect yeah. me to remember you was the first part of the retreat. <laughs> Second right. part of the retreat was, this is going to be about the Bible and it's going to, and we're just going to read the Bible. And yeah. if you're not into that, this isn't for you and you can go away. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And then the third part was go take um the shortest gospel. Or maybe it was Matt Matthew has the word immediately. Okay, no, it was Matthew he told me, not the shortest. He goes, Go read the gospel. Go read the whole book of Matthew. And I'm like, yeah. What? What? You know? He's like, No, really, you can do it. It's like forty five yeah. minutes. You just have to read the whole book of Matthew. And then he yeah. goes, and watch everywhere where it says the word immediately. Yeah. You know? And uh, so you read it. It's called the Matthew immediately, I think. And um, it's like it's like Jesus called these people and they immediately left. And it's just yeah. immediately, immediately, all the apostles come. And the next day I was just like, okay, I need to leave. I need to leave grad yeah. school. I need to go to become missionary, blah, blah. Yeah. Um, and this is, this is now, all right, that's the important part. This footnote was yeah. across from my room at the monastery was a redemptorist father who was visiting his sister, who was a nun at a close by monastery. Mm -hmm. And he had the craziest stories, right? During this retreat. Mm -hmm. Like he had um, been in um, 
Latin American countries when the government started like cracking down on the priests because they were like advocating wow. for the poor. And I yeah. can't remember where it was. I can't, yeah. I don't know if he was old enough to have been in Cuba, but I thought it was Cuba. But he was talking about like having the rectory shot up with machine guns and stuff wow. like this, right? And I'm like, whoa, like this yeah. is the most hardcore missionary I've ever met, you know? Yeah. And I'm not saying he wasn't. He might have been. But I also, my patron saint was St. Alphonsus because I'd chosen that as a confirmation name because I'd read the Book of Saints and didn't get much farther than C. And Saint Alphonsus, that, that's not a good reason. I love St. Alphonsus. He loves me. Uh, but yeah, so St. Alphonsus founded the Redemptorist, and here's this Redemptorist with crazy missionary yeah. stories, and I'm deciding to leave grad school. So my first thing on my checklist was figure out if I want to be a Redemptorist. Mm-hmm. So I left grad school, ended up in a retreat center in Picture Rocks, Arizona, uh, or sorry, Tucson, Arizona. It's called Picture Rocks Retreat Center. Uh, and I took a job as a landscape construction worker, 70 miles from the border. Cause I really wanted to meet the poor because I knew that yeah. was part of my call. Yeah. And I was going to try to pay down my, uh, I had probably $20,000 of student loans or something I needed to pay down. And, yeah. um, I started kind of working on that and that was just a very interesting time. And just like during this whole time, I almost never had a friend who was an Orthodox Catholic. Yeah. Probably almost yeah. until I met you, Laura. Yeah. You know, like, and when yeah. I went, so I knew like the monks and I knew at least Father Adam was Orthodox. Um, but in Rochester, I didn't really know an Orthodox Catholic and same with um, KU. Yeah. I think there were Orthodox yeah. people there. I just wasn't connecting. And when I went to Picture Rocks, there were uh, three or four priests there. And uh, one priest was a Zen master. Oh, okay. <laughs> Isn't that great? He, yeah. he had literally qualified as a Zen master. Oh, wow. And he would give uh, Catholic Zen retreats and non-Catholic Zen retreats. Okay. <laughs> uh-huh. And he would travel around the country doing Zen work, but he was like a smoker. Yeah. And only ate fast food. Yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. Which was great. He was a pretty Super authentic Zen. guy. Yeah. I think his name was Father yeah. Hawk. And there was another priest there who stared me down and told me he didn't believe in the virgin birth. And he told, he told me, Oh, I see so much of myself in you. You will become exactly like me. Oh my gosh. And his friend was there. Who's kind of a famous author who like stopped me. He goes, that's about, that's unfair to tell anybody. Yeah. <laughs> he knew he was horrifying me when he said that. Yeah. Yeah. That yeah. priest was also funny because he was a man who always looked to be in charge. This is not his fault. This is one of the most funny uh-huh. things about him. Like if he stood anywhere, people would come up people like just... he worked there and ask him what was yeah. happening. <laughs> right. That's and he funny. once yeah. told me, he said, um, go get this from the car. It's in the garage. I went to the garage and the car was not in the garage. And I come back and I go, okay, the car's not in the garage. He goes, yes, it is. And I thought, uh, maybe it is. Like, I mean, like, like he had so much like inborn authority in him that like. Gravitas. Yeah. yeah and he wasn't really being evil. It was just like, he just thought it was there. So he's just saying, yeah, it is. You know, but he was just saying, yes, it is. And I'm like, what? 
You know, that happened a couple times. His gravitas was so powerful. But yeah. anyway, so when he looks at you and yeah. says, you will become exactly like me, you're like, maybe I will. What the hell is going on here? You know? Yeah, yeah. You, you were there for a year. How long were you there? Probably six months. And then okay. you didn't meet me too long after that because I yeah. realized I needed to pay off my debt and being a, yeah. you know, landscape construction worker for seven, eight bucks an hour wasn't yeah. going to hack it. Um, which is funny in Tucson because landscaping is gravel. Like you buy a house. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You, you yeah. decide what type of gravel you want. And gravel came in all different colors. You could get yeah. purple yard, pink yard, yeah. black and white yard. And so we just hauled in buckets of gravel, or sorry, big uh, big loads of gravel and dispersed it. And and we also would, uh, you know, you don't, you don't have lawns to mow, right? Right. Turns out you fluff gravel. <laughs> you take rakes and you fluff and literally i had to work at this job for like three months before i could by my eyes tell the difference between unfluffed and fluffed gravel oh my gosh right then it would bother yeah. you and be like these people have not fluffed their gravel and who knows how long <laughs> so I, I took a job okay so got, gravel I, fluffing wasn't cutting it yes well i'll, I'll yeah. skip a little bit of the rest of the story because i think it could go yeah. into the founding of Simple House that we need to talk to. But basically, I took a job as a consultant in Washington, D.C., um, yeah. an economic consultant. The people at that firm were really great. If they ever see this, God bless you guys. Thank you so much for that opportunity. Yeah. Um, I already felt like the most important work in my life had begun, in a sense. Yeah. Like, yeah. I ended up having to leave this really nice, high-paying job. But that really didn't feel like a sacrifice. The sacrifice was the leaving of grad school. Yeah, that was the big yeah. decision. And once I'd made that decision, everything else just felt like I just need to, you know, get this money. I got to pay it off. Yeah. Then I'm going to leave and then I'm going to do something better and, you know, yeah. do something for God. So Yeah. You talked about your moral conversion. Was this this had begun? Yeah. I don't know, man. I mean, I struggled with morality all the way up until. Right before Simple House, like I would kind of go on yeah. and off of living a pretty moral life. Yeah, I, I, I think that's I kind of remember um, meeting you and it was like you were like you were like still working things out or something, <laughs> you know, like I felt like that was kind of your project a little bit when I met you. And um, you were uh, we met volunteering at Exodus. Right. And you were like volunteering all your time away. Yeah, that um, probably was my moral conversion. Yeah. Time was I, I kind of like broke everything off. Yeah. And um, I just double down on I have to stay busy all the time in order not to yeah. fall into bad habits. So, yeah, like Sunday morning was like wash dishes at one homeless shelter. The Catholic worker yeah. house was other mornings of the week before work. Yeah. Uh, after work, I was doing Exodus. Um, yeah. And and I even had like some a nun who was at a, um, a homeless shelter who would pray morning prayer with the guys in Adams Morgan. Yeah. It was a Christ house. Yeah. And um, I had moved to Adams Morgan. That was also interesting that I moved to Adams Morgan and um, I took nothing. I, I'd yeah. already been living in DC for a year or so. And when I went to Adams Morgan, I, um, I didn't bring a fork and I didn't bring a shower curtain. Yeah. You know, I was experimenting yeah. with poverty and, I only bought the things that I needed that became apparent after I was there. Like you do need a yeah. shower curtain. You do need at least one fork. Turns out, yeah. you know, um, I was yeah. making enough money. I ate out a lot. But. Yeah. Well, I didn't your fridge break down. 
Oh, in I that place, that. and it's like I, I have this memory that your like fridge broke and you just didn't get it fixed. <laughs> well, I just remember like I kind of yeah. knew how to eat out for five or six bucks, you know, yeah. at like yeah. an Asian place or whatever. And I knew yeah. that whenever I had to cook a meal, the amount of things I had to buy to cook a meal, yeah, yeah, yeah. were always way more expensive than, than eating out for six. one person. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, it was kind of a weird point in my life. I, I should think about that time more, but yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was just keeping yeah. busy doing as much as I could. And that was changing me. And that was very beautiful. And a religious order, the Redemptorist took me in for a minute and let me live there uh, to also kind of keep me honest, you know, because I had morning and evening prayer, then I had to be there each day. And um, yeah. And this was like the first time in your life that you were um, meeting like other Catholics, you know, right? Like, um, uh, I mean, obviously the monks and stuff, but like. Yeah, my first kind of Orthodox friends, I think going to Exodus, uh, which we talked about in a different podcast, was very amazing because I I met you, I met all these other people Mm -hmm. who were just fired up for the faith, knew at least as much as I did about, you know, that there is a real theology behind the Catholic (laughs) Church. The first time I had people like that. No, no one there was like casually Catholic. It was like all people that were really, yeah. And and I also found it very put-offing. that's not really a word. I don't know. I, I was very put yeah. off by meeting Catholics in a way because yeah. I remember I showed up to the adoration that you guys would have at CUA yeah. like Thursday nights or something. Yeah. And it was geared for students. But yeah, it was geared for students. And I was yeah. older. I was probably like 25 maybe. Yeah. But yeah. what was put off to me was I couldn't relate with the religion of a lot of people in the room because I'd come from such a troubled place you know i'd come from the hippie co-op i'd come from uh struggling with all these ideas mightily and then i'm meeting these people who are just joyfully catholic and i'm like are you for real yeah you know like i couldn't it was hard for me to know if they were real yeah Yeah. you know and I, i couldn't trust it yeah you know and and i don't know that i think that instinct is overdeveloped in me but i don't know that that's not always a decent instinct to have sometimes you know like yeah if you see a bunch of religious zeal you should kind of take a step back and say like <laughs> yeah yeah you know i i i um have uh felt surprised in the you know like in my 20s how how few of the like campus ministry kids like stayed catholic yeah, yeah. that's kind of rough and then, yeah. you know how there's I mean, like, there's a, a lot did a lot did, but a, a whole lot didn't. <laughs> and it was surprising yeah. to the ones who didn't. Yeah. It was kind of surprising, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. when, um, you know, when I said earlier about standing on the pews and how you're one of the mm-hmm. first ones or one of the last ones and, and the social yeah. pressure you feel. Yeah. That like makes me mad. Like, um, yeah. like I like if I feel a lot of social pressure that you need to accept X, Y, Z. I mm-hmm. actually get hot mad. Yeah. You know, yeah, like yeah, yeah, I yeah. like it raises my it makes my blood boil, you know, and um so like if I'm being kind of like coerced into hey, everyone needs to think this way or everyone needs to do XYZ, I yeah. even X, I most of the time XYZ is not a bad thing. I'm not hanging out with bad people, yeah. but I'm like <laughs> yeah, 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 I'm yeah. like <laughs> Heck no, you know what I mean? Like yeah. let's, mm-hmm. let's right, not go right. down that road, you know. Right, right. I'm not gonna go right. down out of any pressure. I'll decide if I want to go down that road. Yeah, things. totally. Yeah. But anyway, I, I mean, think I yeah. probably I to be honest, like now that we've been talking about this, I honestly don't remember that year of my life 
that I don't reflect on that year that much. Well, should we um, leave the rest for another time when we talk about the founding of a simple house? Yeah, let's do that. Okay. Good to see you, Laura. Yep, you too. All right, good. Well, All right, God bless talk everybody. Later. See you in a future podcast.